Welcome to Final Final, the podcast for brand storytelling and other conundrums. I'm Heather McGee. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Final Final. So glad to have all of you with us today. I'm really excited because my friend Sylvia Mundo has agreed to come on and have a chat with us. She has had an incredible career that I have loved following throughout the years. We've known each other for quite a long time at this point. Uh, she's a UX leader, and she specializes in e-commerce and merchandising specifically. She's a product and content strategist who works in so many things, social commerce, AI, personalization, insights, merchandising. She is also a public speaker and creator, and she can speak to corporate momming, machine learning, and then also diversity, equity, and inclusion. She's worked on so many global brands that you all have all used. I'm just going to tell you right now. I don't even need to tell you what those brands are. You have used them as well as heading her own content efforts. And I am so glad that you're here with us today to talk about all of it. Oh, Heather, I'm so glad to be here too. Hey, everybody. I'm Sylvie and I will give you a little bit more context behind my career journey. And I like to take it way back in terms of kind of like what inspired me to take the journey that I have been on for the last few decades. Um, so for me, I think my most vivid memory was watching the movie Pretty in Pink for the first time. And for any of those Gen Zers who have never seen Pretty in Pink, you need to watch Pretty in Pink. It's like an institution. And one of the, one of the main characters, which is Molly Ringwald, her character is named Andy, she was a girl from the wrong side of the track, but she made her own clothes and she was like the coolest girl ever. So I wanted to be Andy. I remember seeing that for the first time and thought, I have to do what she does. I have to know how to do that. And just zooming up from that, I think that, that was when I first fell in love with everything related to style. And so then my other vivid memories from when I was super young was just like being obsessed and pouring over every single fashion and pop culture magazine and Zine, for those of us who grew up in the 80s, um, I was obsessed with people's outfits. And that led me to pursuing a college degree at UC Davis that was rooted in design and textiles um, and the kind of the introduction of trends. I ended up doing a study abroad in London to do an intensive in fashion and trend forecasting, which Davis did not um, offer. And then I never went back to Davis. <laughs> <And so, laughs> I, um, I got bit by the fashion bug and I loved it. So I came back to San Francisco, went to Academy of Art. And that's really when my fashion kind of career started. Um, so I've been everywhere from fashion editorial. Then I got accepted into the executive corporate training program at the Gap. Um, I did a 10-year merchandising tour of duty over there across all the different brands. And then I got bit by the tech innovation bug. That's really when everything started to shift to mobile. And so I made the jump to away from fashion into fintech because I really wanted to understand product marketing, how to work with engineers, product strategy, user experience, just all of those things that were so foreign to me coming from the world of retail. And then after learning all of those things, um, which are still the most valuable kind of tenets that I live by today, I realized I wanted like a hybrid of style, commerce, as well as tech. And so I made my way back to lead content, trend insights, and site experience. And then for a few companies that many of you know and shop. And then at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, I manifested my dream job, which was to, um, I was recruited to lead um, and launch social commerce from a merchandising leadership perspective um, at Meta for Instagram and Facebook. And so that's where I've spent the last few years and it's been great. Yeah, that's amazing. You've had a, a career that I think is really, um, I know it's been inspiring to me. So Sylvie and I, maybe like 15 years, I think, oh actually. God. So, yes. I think it's been that long that we've known each other. <laughs> we were babies. 
Yeah, we were we were little children, but I, it's always been so fascinating to me following your career. And I remember thinking uh, when I first met you and like just seeing all the things you do about how smart you were, how thoughtful you were. And, I, you know, something that strikes me about the things that you have shared, you know, publicly that I've been able to see that you are such a 360 storyteller. Like you think about it from the customer's perspective, from the public's perspective, from like all and the story that the company is trying to tell. And I think that's something that's really interesting about you that's super, I think, clear for anyone that's been in your orbit, even just as a pal like me. Totally. And I think it's the reason why I think it's, it's always been something that I've, I think like even, you know, unconsciously done is because I'm such a hardcore empath. So like I care almost to a fault too much about people first. So I like think about what are their needs? can I make them feel valued? What do they care about? You know, all that kind of stuff. And so with anything that I do in any career, one of the first things that I always do is really try and learn and understand where they're coming from. So whether it's the user, right, or the shopper, whether it's the business, like the company I'm working for, or it's the business, if we're in B2B, and that we're serving them, it's just really getting to know them at like such an intimate level. Because at the end of the day, and Heather knows this, because we're both marketers to the core, when you are able to create an emotional connection that strikes the chords of what truly the human's value is, that's when you've won them, right? That's when you've really kind of convinced them or inspired them. And so you can't do that until you really understand them. So I think for me, and then once you understand them, again, being an empath, then you care about them and you want them to do well. Yeah. So then that's, it just becomes this thing that you always, that leads you, right? And so I've loved that part of being an empath that like, I'm not, I do love the art and the science of tech and merchandising and business and, you know, product marketing. But, you know, at the end of the day, my heart is always leading me, like no matter where I go. Well, and you're making me think of something too that I think is interesting about empathy because I think that's something in marketing is something that we talk about a lot, like that aspect. Even though there is major science behind marketing, there's also, um, you know, we're constantly talking about customer empathy. And mm -hmm. something that I think is interesting is the best marketers that, that I've worked with, it's a two-way street. It's not just us having empathy for them. It's also thinking about what can we learn from them? What about the way they work and what they need can inform us about how we mm -hmm. act and what we serve and the products we put out in the world? Because um, I think it's real easy to approach it from like, oh, I, you know, where you, sometimes people stop at, oh, I understand my customers, but they don't start at like thinking about what are the lessons I can learn from them that inform the way I work? You know, maybe there's a fuller understanding I can have by taking back some of these lessons into myself and not just okay. well, how can I serve my customers, but also what are our customers teaching us? And I think that's kind of an interesting way to frame it that can uncover additional insights when you think about it that way too. A hundred percent. We are learning from each other. Like I think that's being open-minded to that. And I think always being like a forever student, right, is something that I live for. I was, I'm like obsessed with self-improvement, right? And just like really making, start getting the start of my, on my day or so actually just owning the day. So I've, one of my favorite quotes is you own the morning, you own the day, right? And so you read all these books and advice about, you know, how to live a full life and meaningful and gratifying life. And a lot of it ties back to just feeding your brain and your soul, right? And so learning is one of those key ingredients to that. So I think the danger, what they don't teach you when you're growing up is that you can continue to learn just because you're done with school doesn't mean that you need to stop learning. Or it doesn't mean that you know everything, even if you have a master's or PhD in something. The world is always evolving. There's new information and there's always opportunity to be a student in something that you didn't know anything about. And so I think the same goes with research, right? So we do in tech so much research, so much user research. Um, so many kind of panels and feedback sessions. Again, being able to, A, I think for those researchers out there, I think one thing I've learned is 
really taking the time to be intentional about how you ask the question, right? Mm -hmm. Because how you ask the question really determines the answer that you get in return and the learnings and the insights you get in return. And so one of the best advice I was given is just making sure you focus on open-ended questions. And actually when there is that uncomfortable space, that's when the stories start to roll in because as humans, we want to keep talking and filling the space. And so our, you know, as researchers, our, our natural gut is to fill the space, right. And to drive the bus or whatever, but they actually recommend, no, just give them the uncomfortable silence for just like a beat and they'll start talking. And then that's when the like golden nuggets start to come out. So I love that. And I think that's where you learn the most from people. Have you ever, you're reminding me actually of a seminar that I stumbled into once. It was at like a a women's conference for creative directors that was happening in Chicago years ago. And I accidentally, I didn't know what it was about, but I walked into, (laughs) I walked into a seminar. Oh, I don't know if you know their names. I think it's like Nancy Gronk. There's this, uh, I'll I'll put it in the show notes. I'm going to find their names. I'll put it in the show notes. But they're well known for these active listening seminars and then also these creative processes that they've developed that like I think at our point in our career I we've heard most things and I was not expecting I was like yeah yeah whatever they're gonna say you know two rounds of review you know Mm -hmm. things that we've all heard before they blew my mind with things that I like actually never heard before one was a creative process like how to get better work out of your team so mm-hmm. I'm going to find that. that That's not what I'm trying to bring up now, but I will say that's the other yeah. thing that blew my mind, which I will put in the show notes. But the, in direct response to you, what you were talking about, they did a seminar on active listening for an hour. They just worked with us on learning how to be active listeners. And I was like, oh, what are they going to do for an hour? It blew my mind. And part mm-hmm. of it was learning to, a big part of it was living in the moment. You know, we're all such multitaskers and mm-hmm. they made a big case for quit doing that. I don't care what your company tells you. If it's in your job description, excellent multitasker, just ignore that part. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to be subpar at everything. Um, but they also did a whole seminar on stop talking stop thinking, don't formulate your response while you're listening to what they say. Mm -hmm. Just focus on doing one thing and that is listening to what the other person is saying. Take a moment to formulate your response and then respond. Don't do it all at the same time uh, because it really gets in the way of understanding. But I'm going to find more about that and put it in the show notes, but it did really blow my mind and it, it kind of changed the way that I work in a really big way for sure. No, it's true. I think um, when we're growing up, you know, in our careers, we're so excited, right? And we're just like, we have, we're like puppies. And so we have so many things we want to say, so many ideas and zero restraint, right? And so in these meetings, and so it's definitely a learned skill that I have had the blessing of really invested managers that have guided me to learn how to learn the value of brevity and (laughs) learn when it's my role to listen and it's when it's my role to weigh in. And I think, you know, it all, it also evolves depending on where you are in your career, right? So when you're an IC, when you're new and an individual contributor in your career and you're trying to prove yourself and build your career brand. Yes, obviously you will need to be able to share the right things at the right time. But it's also in order to make people walk away with the things that you really care about the most, right? It's making sure you're not you're not suffering from like diarrhea of the mouth, right? So we talk like it's mm-hmm. basically like, and so my prep that I've um, always advised my team as they're getting ready to present or like lead a meeting or whatever is, I'm like, I know this sounds super old school, but like build an outline yeah, with like your five takeaways that you want people to remember. If they don't mm-hmm. read anything else, if they don't listen to anything else that you say, these are the five things that you want them to remember have those there. And then if it's not on your outline, really like pause before you say something and really think if that's going to matter, like if that's going to change the game or influence or whatever, because the more you say, the less 
people will remember those five things, yeah. right? Cause it's just like too many stuff. So that's been a really big thing that I try to teach my team and Heather, I'm sure you you've led super large teams also. Like you also learned that like, not everybody is like a super extrovert, right. Or the yeah. best presenter ever. They're not like Barack Obama. Right. So like, <laughs> uh, so, like You know, where people are hanging on your every word. So, but everyone has a superpower. Right. And so, you know, I think this kind of goes back to like just being what drives me as a leader is like, how do you help people discover their superpower? And then how do you make that superpower manifest when it comes to storytelling in a meeting, storytelling, you know, in public speaking, storytelling in your work, you know? So I think as managers, the biggest mistake we can make is to train people how we like to be trained. Yeah. And the first thing that I one of the greatest lessons that I've been taught as a manager is when you first have somebody new on your team, it's really to do like an intake. And uh, one of my favorite, most beloved managers um, has this like about me form that is literally like, tell me everything about you that can help me lead you and like support you. Right. And so it's like all these different things, like things you love, things you hate, what your like moonshot goals are, where do you want to be in five years? What are things you want to learn? Like, all you know, how do you like to learn all that kind of stuff? And like what you start to realize is number one, by sharing those things, you're already build, you're brokering an emotional connection to each mm-hmm. other. And then two, you're also learning that this person likes to shadow or this one actually wants more of like, a checklist or guidelines or requirements and then let them dive in. Right. And they don't like to be whatever, but they need you to be available for check-ins and questions. This person is more visual. This person is more written, you know, like more audio, like there's so many different things. And so I try every day with my people to do that. And, um, and especially when you're recruiting people who, And this is one of my favorite things is recruiting people who are not from that industry. So if we talk about tech, right? Yeah. Like tech in many ways is really one of the reasons why there's such a knock on it from like a diversity perspective and equity and inclusion is because for a very long time or the the easy kind of lazy way of recruiting is to just look for the names of yeah. anybody in thing or whatever tech or look for common titles. Cause there's algorithms. Of course there are, it's tech. So there's like recruiting algorithms. So I hope you guys know this when you submit a resume <laughs> into any major tech or small tech company, there's an algorithm that kind of will look for certain keywords, titles, company names, responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera that grade and score your resume on relevant candidacy for a role. Yeah. So the good news is you can kind of game that, right? By looking at the job posting and the requirements and optimizing your resume that you have those keywords and yada, yada, yada. So that's great. But the downside is if you haven't worked in that industry, then you're going to come up as a low score. But one of the coolest hacks um, and kind of opportunities that I had worked on um, in terms of a diversity, like DE and I initiative was really around this opportunity to recruit, identify and recruit high potential candidates for tech based on transferable skills. Mm-hmm. And like, I just love that. So one example is like a high school basketball coach that has been doing or a teacher and basketball coach has been doing it for years and, you know, has led their team to all this stuff and developed everyone. Okay. On paper. Yeah. They don't know Python or SQL or whatever, but, Mm -hmm. um, but they can build teams, right. Mm -hmm. And they can build thriving, like very 
successful teams and really great culture that people want to come back to like that they're a leader that people will follow like that's amazing or somebody that I hired one of my favorite hires um he served in the navy and I'm like no tech experience but I'm like okay well this what does this tell me okay he has incredible discipline he respects high respect for timelines and meeting deadlines mm-hmm very communicative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and is somebody that you can rely on, right? Yeah. And which is great for operations, which is great for anything, actually, you know, in terms of program management, whatever. Um, and so I like to give people with transferable skills that bridge to be able to cross industries because, and Heather, you've seen my resume and you see my career like <laughs> I've spider webbed and so have you let's yeah. be clear we've spider webbed you look at like where we started to where we are and you're like how you're like this tail right this like where where these examples of like you started in this like way over here and you ended yeah. up like way over here and so you know people will say like she's had a million career pivots and right. I'm like yeah I mean but it's not even necessarily pivots. It's just like, I've always wanted to go here for the most part. And I was able to, for every job that I took, there was this intention of like, what can I learn from this opportunity? It's not my dream job, right? Mm-hmm. But there are skills and experiences that I can learn. Yeah. And it's inching me closer to ultimately what I want, right? And so it's like, and that's kind of how we've gotten there. And then you have those people like me, like you, that see the transferable skills, see the potential and the opportunity, and they extend that opportunity to you. They build that bridge with you. And then that's how you get to where we are today. Um, So I don't know. That's like, I like to tell those stories and kind of re-encourage people just because I think a lot of people think that you have to be in tech or start from the bottom or you have to be in something and start from the bottom. And it's not like that at all. Like I swear 75% of it is who, you know, getting the referral for the job and not just applying online. Like it's just, it's, it literally is your network that will give you the opportunities. And then it is that elevator pitch that you have when you were in front of the people that make the decisions that will give you what you want. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, so just so everybody knows, so Sylvie's career has spanned all different kinds of fashion, merchandising, e-commerce, you know, going and then moving into tech, and mine has been theater, TV, publishing, (laughs) and now I'm in tech. You know, so it's just like you look at it and you're like, I've had to like voice over my resume at times and just be like, (laughs) I've done many things. But you know what I think is interesting? There's a few things that I pull out of, you know, Sylvie and I have talked about this a lot over the years, actually, at different points. I think what is interesting, I know for me as a leader, my best hires have been the weirdos, have been the ones that, you know, and I put that in quotation marks and I call myself a weirdo. So I'm not like saying that is not one of you. Um, they come in with a different perspective. And I think especially talking about what we do, having a team that has all different kinds of perspectives, people with unconventional backgrounds, unconventional education paths, it really leads to, in the end, a really healthy team with a lot of different ideas, a lot of healthy debate, a lot of healthy challenge. And I actually think when it comes to the work That's how you come up with truly innovative work because you have people with all different kinds of things to contribute. Um, So yeah, I I am all in on that. I I think it's actually, it's not for everybody, but I think both, and, and correct me if you don't agree with this, but I feel like you and I have both seen challenges that were interesting. Like our career path has been about seeing a, an opportunity that presented a challenge we thought was interesting and we wanted to see mm-hmm. what we could do. Uh, and that's kind of led us in our career. It's not for everybody, but it's worked really well for us, I think, and led to, I know for me, a career I've really enjoyed and gotten to do a lot of things that made me proud and were fun at the same time too. Totally. And I think to your point, diversity of experiences brings diversity of thought. And that's what builds diverse, inclusive products and experiences, right? And like things and brands and things that people care about. And um, the other thing that I think is a good lesson from all this too, with our like spider webbed traversed careers is again, it's like, 
it's really just about, you know, if you think about your career, if you're just getting started or if you're mid-career and you are feeling uninspired or if you're like, like us, like at this kind of like later season of your career and as a leader or, you know, just somebody like a veteran in an industry and you feel like the world is rapidly changing and you want to keep up. One of my favorite books that I read recently is called The Values Factor. Oh, cool. And it is really about just understanding what values are the most meaningful for you and what drive you and what really creates the most fulfilling work, right? So when everything is in alignment, then with your values, then the work doesn't feel like work, right? Kind of feels like a vacation, if you will. It just feels like the greatest gift. So the values factor, like basically asks you all of these probing questions. You know, if you were to spend all this money, how would you spend it? If you had all this time in the world, what would you do with it? You know, like a lot of those things like, you know, who do you want to help? How do you want to see this? All this kind of stuff. And then it narrows it down to different values that you have. And that really helps you realize and kind of filter down the opportunities and what you want to do next. And so I highly recommend it. I think it's really great because then it just is a little bit more of a compass versus mm-hmm. feeling obligated to stay in a vertical or industry or role just because you've logged so many hours, right? Or you're yeah. doing it. And so like a perfect example will be, okay, well, you know, I want to serve. Like, I just want to help people like, and this ties back to me being a storyteller, you know, for me, storytelling, you know, there's a lot of things that can motivate a person. A person may be motivated by growing businesses. They like to grow things. Right. Mm -hmm. And there might be people who like to create things from scratch and be innovators and, you know, all this kind of pioneers, um, and for me, it really is more of the, the servant kind of approach. Like for me, I just want to help people discover their like best and most authentic self, right? Like that for me is just my overarching kind of like business card. Like that's mm-hmm. where I'm in the business of. So that can manifest in like a million different jobs, right? Yeah. And so as a storyteller, if you think about like site experience and social commerce, right? Like, what does that look like? Okay, well, instead of saying sweaters 50% off or whatever, we lead with the stories and the moments and, you know, the imagery and the content that really speaks to the heart of a human and what they really care about, right? And so it's really developing, figuring out those personas and what makes those, what makes those people's hearts beat, right? Skip a beat. And so, and really kind of guiding them through discovery experiences that get them excited. Maybe they used to be on a ski team growing up and they're a mom and they haven't gone back to the snow in a while because they have two young kids. Okay. Well, let's do this like Opry ski or kind of Sierra inspired thing because we know a lot of them live in this area and like, let's show the moments, right? Like show the memories. Don't just like focus on the product, like really bringing it around or understanding why people love summer versus it's summer by swimsuits. Right. Right. And so it's like, well, what do people love about the summer? They love going to the lake. They love going to the beach house with their family. They love blah, 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 you know, all this kind of stuff or just lazily riding their bike around, you know, the neighborhood and spending the day at the pool. Like, I think that's really where as storytellers and when we're doing research and all of this kind of stuff, it's just really turning the data and the insights and all that kind of stuff that we have into stories that people care about. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's what I love the most about like what we do. Yeah, I do too. There's a whole, um, I used to laugh at the word storytelling, but more and more I have embraced it. I've embraced it. Yeah. It's a real thing. Cause I used to be like, wait, I put real blood, sweat, and tears into these skills. It makes it, and this makes it sound like I write 
I don't know, about a princess in a castle or something. <laughs> or you're selling something by a campfire. It's yeah. Yeah. Or telling totally. ghost stories, which is very fun, <laughs> but there's so much more to it. Now, totally. you've been speaking to something that, you know, if you don't work in tech, you may not be aware of this, but anybody who is part of the the tech world, which is more and more, well, at one time, it was more and more of us lately. <laughs> it's been going through a bit of a scene. We're going to get to that. Um, but in tech, there's a big conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And something that I know for me that I have encountered is I've never been in an environment that talks about it more, but where I can also see the extremes of it's really not there. But then there's also on the other side, so much conversation around it. And it almost feels like two extremes and it's kind mm-hmm. of hard to reconcile it all. You know, what are your, you know, as someone else who also works in tech, what has your experience been like on that front? And what would you like to see? What are your thoughts on all of that? Oh, yes. Um, so in addition to helping find, helping people discover their most authentic best self, that really championing and leading with diversity and equity and inclusion is like right up there and is kind of part of that deal. And so for me, I think it's a few things. Number one, prior to tech and most of my career, I've been very lucky to have been led by and really my own, most of my reality for corporate executives have been female leaders. And so I think I'm actually in the minority on that because I don't think that is as normal as what it was for me, but I had all, all mostly female leaders who were moms who were very leaned in moms and who were really trying to not just live to work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, that's where I came from. So when I came to tech and I even just from a distance, it's, you see, if we're talking about kind of the, the female or women minority in tech, you see some very prominent female leaders that are trying to champion women in the workplace in tech. Sheryl Sandberg is obviously one of them. And so it was really fascinating to see her from a distance with Lean In and everything, and then actually start at Meta. And it's just, you would, you know, you'd feel her presence in the best way, you know? So I think it's being able to see that was a gift um and it just it, it because of her it really attracted a lot of female leaders it just takes one right one champion and she was one where it just kind of permeated everywhere and then on top of you know championing more women in the workplace it was also championing DEI and so they were under her umbrella and so you started to see that too and so what i learned was if you have a vocal advocate at the most influential level, you can change the game. Like you can literally change the culture inside and out. And it was pretty tremendous to see. Now there are only so many of her in the world (laughs) and in the industry. (laughs) And so I think the other thing I've seen in other tech companies and just other companies in general is that when you don't, what happens when you don't have that? Yeah. Right. And when you don't have that, it's like you're put on mute Mm -hmm. and it makes it, one million times harder to change the culture from the inside out because you're like here and everybody's up here and then there's just no one that's holding the company accountable right yeah so that's my that's my biggest thing but I will say too if you are in whether you're in an instance where an organization where you have a strong like executive champion or you are lacking one power and numbers in your community internally can also drive change and hold people accountable so that's where you kind of have to dig deep with if you really care about it you have to dig deep and bring the people who also care about it as much as you do together and rally and make the case right? And just use all of your power of influence skills to show what's possible, you know, and it's going to be your side hustle and you make it happen. I've worked on those initiatives before 
And we were able to do incredible things in the name of diversity that I'm so, so proud of. One of the proudest achievements that I've had till this day. So I will say that like, whether you have it or you don't, and if you really care about it, just rally people together. And it's like your own internal activist, right. To be able to, to demand that change. Yeah. I mean, I will say something that for me, like if I need like a simple uh, stress test about something that I see is going on, one thing that and you and I have talked about this before too, as a device, asking yourself, is my silence or participation, who's that benefiting? Mm-hmm. And that kind of tells me what I need to do. Like if I see something and, and I was at a job at one time where there was significant um, sexism and racism in a very overt manner going on. And there was a group of us that got together as a group of women because we all got together to talk about it. And something that was interesting in those meetings, the only people who spoke up were other women. And that was frustrating. Mm-hmm. And while the, some of the other men in the room were not actively participating, their silence, in my view, wasn't benefiting us. It was mm-hmm. benefiting the shadow side of what was happening. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I just offer that if someone needs like a simple tool, think about how your silence or participation, who is it benefiting? And sometimes that provides some clarity on what kinds of actions morally you should take. Yeah. That's been helpful to me to think about it yes. that way at times. And there's so many free, widely available tools on the internet that will the internet that will teach you that can help guide you and educate you on how to be a better ally yeah. in general. Like I've been a D and I lead. It's one of my favorite things to do. And a lot of the things I've learned is that people just don't even know where to start. Right. Yeah. Heather and I have also worked through this together in our own. Yes, we have. I know. I was kind of dancing around it like Sylvie and I have worked through this together. We've worked through this too together. (laughs) But it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, um, you just got to arm them with the right tools and a safe space to be able to ask questions and be vulnerable and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so like, for example, when API hate started happening, was it like a year and a half ago? Mm-hmm. Um, like it obviously was causing a lot of suffering for our API community, but you know, for my really close colleagues and friends who were not that, they were blissfully unaware, you know, at the suffering that we were undergoing. And so I, as a leader, just took like, I, was very outspoken on the need for me to take a mental health day and explained why. Mm -hmm. And then that opened the door for other people who are suffering silently to take a mental health day. And then I took it a step further and I created, I I worked partnered with like-minded, you know, kind of API colleagues. And we built this listening session for our larger kind of group, which is very large. And, shared our story and went through things and kind of educated as to what this was and why it was happening. Cause again, people just didn't know if they weren't Asian. And when we were sharing our stories, we just like fully broke down, like full on ugly cry in front of everybody. And I remember I have done a lot of DEI and allyship good sessions with my teams. Mm-hmm. And apparently a lot of the team said till this day, like that was the most, uh eye-opening session for them to want to be an ally because they said when they saw us as friends and colleagues suffering yeah that personal connection to somebody who was clearly suffering as a result of this fired up the need to want to do something and Mm. so they were immediately like well what can we do how can we help like we've gotten so much training but like that was really like how do we do more like, what can we do to change this? And so I think, again, it's it's a lot of that, right? So just like yeah. nobody's going to hand you a certificate on congrats, you're a really great ally. It's just, I would say, ask stories, ask questions, and ask how you can support the people in your life where you don't have the same background and understand what it's like and the whole unconscious bias is a real thing 
you know? And so microaggressions, all those things. And again, your intention may not be bad, but it doesn't matter. It's the action, whether it's unconscious or not, that is causing damage and pain. Probably people that you love and you have no idea. Yeah. So I think that is something I always tell to everyone, just like put it on your like self-improvement list to just add a little, like, how can I show up as a better ally today? Like what's my allyship homework? You know, what can I read? Amazing Ted talks that you can watch and, you know, great books, podcasts. So just start there. Yeah. And and then we have something else we're going to talk about here too, but you're also making me think of, I read an article recently and I don't remember where it was. I'll have to find it and put in the show notes if I can about how quite often at the office, you'll hear things like assume best intent. And personally, that's something I have a problem with. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you might mm-hmm. agree with me on this, that what that ends up doing is gaslighting the people who are impacted. Like, yes. I understand you didn't intend to do this, but you did do it. And that does yes. matter. And there was an impact that needs to not happen anymore. Yes. And it is kind of a way to like opt out of addressing the issue when you say things like that. So as a leader, like I don't use that term anymore. Um, 100%. I think it's more for me. I totally agree. And I think for me, the way that I interpret it is like, okay, well, don't retaliate, right? (laughs) Like, because I think, you know, that too, where it's just, there's some people who have just, again, endured, endured so much suffering and, you know, just racism and oppression, right? That this point they have zero patience, right? And they're easily triggered. So for some people, they will immediately be triggered and retaliate. And they are unable to assume best intent, right? But if you can, I think it's kind of like, okay, clearly it's a micro, like they are very unconscious bias aware. It's kind of like marking the behavior, right? Yeah. Be like, okay, cool. I get it. They're not evil, right? Mm-hmm. But taking a moment and an opportunity to help them be better. So yeah. there's like a respectful way to do that. Right. There's a way to communicate to them that this impacted you. Right. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes is all they need to know that they've hurt you, their colleague, their friend. Right. They've offended an entire community (laughs) of people, (laughs) you know, but like, but you can do it in a way that doesn't shut them down. Because sometimes if, if the delivery is more, you know, kind of, like I said, retaliatory, like then they could shut down and not want to change at all. And then it could be a resentment X, Y, Z. But if you figure out the most effective way to communicate to them, it could change them forever. Right. In the best mm-hmm. way. So I, I totally agree with you. I think, yeah, the assume best intent is like definitely not my language. It's more <laughs> like assume unconscious bias. I like, I would like re- replace. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah, yes, for sure. So something else that Sylvie and I have talked about a bit, and I, I think this is something, especially entering the senior side of your career becomes, I think, even more of a thing for a number of people. And I've dealt with this. I know for sure your career can become your identity or it becomes an embedded part of how you see yourself and, and how you think about yourself and your value and your worth. What are some some of your thoughts on that? So, so many thoughts. Well, okay. When you start, when you have a career, especially growing up in your career and you just like loved your job Mm -hmm. and loved your people. Like I remember when you were working at Oprah, I feel like it was like a, it's a family course. It's Oprah. It's family, right? Like I want to be in the Oprah family. Like it's just everyone (laughs) wants to be in the Oprah family, but like it's your family, right? So you love the people you want to be there doesn't feel like work, you know, or just you'd rather work be nowhere else in the foxhole except with these people. Mm-hmm. So when you're young and growing up in that, you spend the most time with those people doing that stuff than any other thing in your life, right? Yeah. And so the lines are super blurred because you're just like, okay, they're my bridesmaids, you know, <laughs> going on vacation with them, like all the time mm-hmm. they're my roommates, like it's all these things. 
So that's the part that can be really where I feel like it's the most intensified. And I think that's what happened to me too, right? Like some of my best yeah. friends are these people that I worked with, like really throughout my career. Um, But then I think when you start to have like a family, I think, you know, this is where I, I really felt it shift because you literally have no choice, right? You have no, you have this new duty, this new normal or these human, these tiny humans that you have to keep alive and thriving. And so they become your priority. And yeah. so I feel like for us, it was this, okay, well, how, how do we, how do we grapple with this? Right? Like these people I want to spend time with, but then I have to come home. I can't go to every happy hour. I can't like go to every trip. We can't do all these things. Um, but you care less, like there's less FOMO because you actually have more FOMO when you're not with your kids. Right. So yeah. it's like this, this thing. So you choose those things. And then I think that just helps you get really good about setting boundaries. And then I think, you know, for me, I've spent a lot of soul searching time and just really looking inward about again, like, what are my values? What lights me up? What's my most authentic, like purest best self and like what elements and ingredients need to be part of that. So I'm optimal and thriving that doesn't involve my kids as me as a mom and doesn't involve me as the leader in the workplace in my career. It's just me. Like, what do I care about? And when you add that element to that, and if you figure that out, then that also creates another boundary of like, okay, I need to be able to fuel this. Right. And then, so, you know, for me, it's like, okay, I had family element. I have myself element, my best self element. That I'm always striving for. And then I have my career element, right? And so that for me is like my happy place because the thing that I will say about careers, even if you love it so much, you love the people, they're your family, all this kind of stuff, corporations and companies don't keep you, they don't, they don't love you back. Right. right? It's a one way. Uh, it's a one way street. <laughs> there are people there that may care about you, but at the end of the day, you are working for a business. You are an employee and you are part of the bottom line. Yeah. So there will be things that will happen that are beyond your control. Like I've been involved in layoff, fired. Like there's so many different things that, like that have shaken me to my core and it's, you know, you can't control any of that, right? And if you're too tied to just your career self as your entire self-worth, then when the job goes away, your self-worth gets diminished to nothing. Yeah. And so my recommendation to anyone, no matter what stage of your career that you're on, think of your your best self, your happiest, most fulfilled spirit as like a pizza pie, right? Or as like a circle. And it has multiple segments to it. Career is just one. It is not the whole. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other facets and just like you constantly exploring and learning and experiencing and just putting yourself out there are the other parts of that circle, figure out what those are and make sure you're always nurturing them, even to the littlest degree, right? Because sometimes work will take over a lot because that happens, right? Yeah. There's peaks and valleys, but just know that you're going to bounce back. And then when you do have more time again, what are you going to take care of yourself? Like I love acupuncture and like holistic medicine and healing is super important to me. Do I go all the time? No. Do I make sure I go at least once a month? Yes. Right. So like, that's one thing, dancing, music, you know, there's like all these other things that really matter a lot to me. So I have to make sure that I have a lot of that. Um, and there, there's some stuff that I have to have in my daily practice that isn't tied to work that I need there for me to feel fulfilled. You're a runner. I've really, I've newly discovered the joy of running. Like <laughs> how many decades later? Because my mind, I just couldn't get, I feel like it's such a mental thing. Like, I know you, we can talk about this forever, but like, yeah, it's so like your mind just needs to be in the right place. And once you get it in the right place, like running can be amazing if you can figure yeah. it out. And I finally figured it out. And I'm like, oh my God, I love running. This is crazy. When am I signing for my first time? I know, who am I? Like, right? Oh I'm like, God. who am I? Right? 
please do that. <laughs> I know. And then we can, I'm going to ask you your race schedule, but that's just stuff like that. Like now I have to have an outdoor run. I have to be out in the sun. Yeah. Like I was listening to Harry's Prince Harry's latest book spare. And he was talking about how the queen lived to be outdoors. Like she literally would get super grumpy. He'd be like, granny would get grumpy if she wasn't outside for at least one hour a day. I was like, that's me. Yeah. It's totally me. Yeah. So there's just like bits to you. So anyone out there who really loves their job and has so much pride in their job and what they do, and it's kind of all they talk about when people are like, how are you? And all you're talking about is work. Kind of a red flag. Like think, like pay attention to how you answer it because that's all you have to talk about. It probably means that that is where a lot of your self-worth is, is sitting. Yeah. And you have nothing else that's kind of filling your cup and filling your heart and your soul that is outside of that. And I would challenge you to think back to before you even had a career, what did you love to do? And they kind of call it this like inner child work, right? Like it's like your purest self, like what just did you love? What brought you joy, you know? And kind of think about all those things that you loved. I loved music. I loved dancing. I loved all these different things. So it's like thinking about going way back and kind of starting from there or just things that naturally just kind of like, again, make your heart skip a beat. Like, what are those things? And maybe you haven't had that in a long time because you've been working so much, right? Yeah. <laughs> you've been studying so much, but you're. it's never too late. It's never too late to bring that back into your life. It's never too late. If you're unhappy in a career, you feel like you're at a dead end career to like pivot like we did, like it's just Mm -hmm. never too late. But again, when you have to figure out your values and what brings you joy and create a space of people who you feel unconditionally support you, make you better, you know, just kind of energize you, make you feel safe. Like those are kind of the things that will help you figure out how you can thrive. Yeah. Well, and you're making me think too of, you know, I think layoffs really are a time when people struggle the most. Like for me, I've been laid off twice. And my first layoff was actually the hardest because I think I learned mm-hmm. a lot from it. Yeah. So I I was a lot younger than I am now, but I worked for Oprah for 12 years. And in every way, it was a dream job worked on Oprah's book club, worked on the show, worked on a show called Super Soul Sunday. I won two global Emmys for it. And one day I was brought into an office and we knew the studio was shutting down. And I was told I was one of the ones being laid off because most people were getting laid off. Like we all assumed we were getting laid off because it was everyone except for like six employees. So I was like, I I just assume (laughs) I will be in that group. And I was. But I I struggled a lot, you know, and that job was a dream job, the job of a lifetime. And we were, I was a family with all those people there. I am still so close to so many people crying in the bathroom over breakups, you know, pulling all-nighters. It was also a really brutal job. Mm -hmm. We all pulled all-nighters, I would say, at least once every two weeks uh, because we were on a two-week schedule with the shows. And uh, your whole life, your whole life was that job. Your whole life. Your whole life, people dated people. That's where all my friends were. All my friends were people I worked with, you know, because we would go and we'd work and it'd be 10 o'clock at night. And I would be like, are we getting a drink? Because if we don't, we're not getting any social time with anyone. (laughs) Totally. You know, so so we truly were so embedded with each other. And so when I was laid off, I was like, wow, what is my life? Who am I? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And it threw me into a bit of a tailspin. And obviously I figured it out. But one truth that really was clarifying for me, there's a spiritual teacher who's an author, and most people have heard of him, Eckhart Tolle. One of his, he has a lot to say about ego, and I think I had some ego going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then he, a big thing that he teaches is that you are you, you are who you are, no matter what roles you play, whether as a mom or, you know, in the corporate world or things you do, no matter what you do or where you are, you are still who you are. And so you're going to take that with you no matter where you are. And that kind of releases some of the weight on, I work at a global brand. I do this. I work in big tech because you know what? It doesn't matter. That has no impact on who you are. 
that that literally has no impact on who you are and you carry your personhood wherever you are and i remember that just that simple little truth really carried me through and helped me like get through that and be like you know what that was an awesome time in my life now i'm going to go do something else and it's going to be 100%. great too 100% and i think for anybody that has recently experienced a layoff i'm sorry first of all because it is tough and yes, the first one is the most brutal because you've just never, it's trauma, legit, it's career trauma. And so, but then once you go through it a few times, like me and Heather have, then you become like the sage that is like bestowing kind of guidance and support to all of the first timers and all of that stuff, because we've seen the gift that sometimes these abrupt you know, um, changes in our, in our life can do. So like you, they're like basically rock bottoms, right? They kind of shake yeah. you down and with rock bottoms, you can have just a, you can have like a rebirth, you know, you can, it, it's, it's where you can level up because there was no room for anything else to come through. There was no space for you to level up and, and nurture yourself and learn and grow on your own in the ways that you really wanted to because you were working all the time, right? So if you use the space wisely for like rediscovery and, you know, introspection and just wellness and love and all of those things and discovery and all that kind of stuff... It can, in my experience, and I'm not sure about you, Heather, but every time that that type of career, you know, kind of rock bottom happened to me, it always leveled me up. Yeah. For the next thing. I always like, got it, something like in better. Like, got something better. Your network gets wider, right? And your skill sets get broader, yeah. right? And so it's it's one of those things that you just kind of everyone should feel empowered to take the space to mourn what you had right and take that moment to process all of that and like what write it down therapy whatever you need to do and then kind of put it in its place and be like okay well i am all these other things what are all these other things i wanted to learn like for me like i'm obsessed with ai and machine learning and like just figuring out how to use science and technology to foster better ideas and better creativity and content and all these other things, right? And it's like this this breakthrough of chat GPT and generative AI is like, and everyone is talking about it. It's so bananas. If you haven't tried it, you should just get the world. <laughs> kind of, it's really funny to try and do stuff like, I don't, I, I can't imagine being a college professor or a high school teacher right now. And I like literally the like alarm bells that are siren, like alarming and going off because of this, like it's like next level. But for me, it's like, okay, I'm not, I didn't get, I'm not a data scientist. I'm, I'm not an AI, like I'm a PhD in artificial intelligence, but I want to learn about it. Yeah. So I'm going to study every day. I'm going to read a little bit about large language models or I'm going to listen to a podcast or something like that and better understand it. Because again, you could be a master at anything if you put in the time and you yeah. really kind of practice. And so whatever that is, if there's a new skill set you want to learn, or if there's an industry that you want to get into, like I'm really passionate about climate tech, right. And edutech yeah. and cause I'm a mom and like mental health. And, you know, like I, it's just something that means a lot to me because just of my experiences. And so it's like, okay, well, how can I get closer to that? Right. And what can I offer? And so mm -hmm. you can, I've had friends who have been just really focused on more service. They've been volunteering at soup kitchens or something. And just like living is giving is one of like a, a phrase that I really love. And it's just like, how do you sometimes serving will fill the void of what you are coming away from. So Again, you know, see it, mourn it, and then look at this time as a gift 
and the space for you is a blank canvas. So it's up for you to figure out what you want to do from it. But just trust both me and Heather, because we are living and breathing examples times, God knows how many times that you will absolutely end up better and higher on the other side. Yeah. I, I do have a joke for this. I this last I because I've been laid off twice, and this last time was recent, like maybe about a year ago. And I told someone I was like, "Oh, well, actually, I was laid off," and she was like, "Oh no, I'm so sorry." I was like, "No, no, no, it's fine." Because <laughs> just it's at the, a certain point, the, like you just it, it's going to be okay. It really is. I mean, it's, it's scary. Okay. Nobody loves it, but you will figure no. it out. Hopefully, you have been saving money and you have some money in savings. So do that. Yes. You should do that. Yes. yes. But it will be okay. Um, I have one. Oh, I was going to say too. I think um, the perk of being a creative or just having a side hustle also is a good benefit, you know, because I think, I mean, thankfully, I think we're at an age now where in in life and in the world where people don't think they can only have one job. This is like the gig economy to the next level. So I hope that everyone, again, if you're interested in something, you can turn it into a side hustle. Content creation isn't the only thing, but it had helped me slow yeah. for many things. Consulting, advising, just doing any of those types of things. Like think about your transferable skills, what you can offer. And it super helps fill the void. So it's like, for me, like I can do content, anything. I can do product marketing. I can do strategy. I can... I can write, I can do, you know, all of these different, I can do social media because yeah. just, and I know Heather has the same thing. So it's like, make sure you have in your tool, you know, like in your toolbox, more than one tool, because then you can, you don't have to have your full fledged kind of like small business. Right. But like, you can even like, I had friends who are just really good at cricket, you know, the like mm-hmm. DIY tool. And then they were just selling Cricket digital files on Etsy that were really cute and it just like helped them float. And so you there's just yeah. there's good ideas that can come from anywhere. Or like what happened in the pandemic where marketplace, Facebook Marketplace blew up because people were just like, cool, I can just like sell all these things and like just make a gig out of it. So again, you can think creatively um when you're in this space of like how you can open up new kind of avenues for earning um and if you need some inspiration just google some ideas or search on tiktok i'm sure there's someone that's sharing kind of how you could do certain things but yeah there's definitely a way yeah diversify and hustle (laughs) but i want to make sure that we've talked about everything that you would like to talk about and cover is there anything that we haven't that you would love to make sure we talk about i think one thing I will say that um, we haven't talked about yet that I think mm-hmm. helps helps as my daily compass and helps me in terms of, again, another tech word, prioritization, is in work and in life. It's one of my favorite rent quotes, which is, there is no day but today. So don't save anything for tomorrow. I think also just something happens when you get in the season of life like us, but (laughs) it truly just helps the things that truly matter to you. If you really focus on like literally no other day, but today, how would I spend it? You know, the work stuff you will prioritize. It'll kind of naturally fall your life stuff, your family stuff, yourself stuff, like all of it'll fall into place. And I think you approach life with a more kind of grateful, hopeful heart you know, Mm -hmm. in perspective. So that is one thing that hopefully can help you guys is just think of today as the only day and think about what you're grateful for at the very beginning of the day and at the end of the day, because it also helps wash away some of the stress or regret or anything that may have Mm -hmm. emerged throughout the day. Um, and it's just a better way to start and end your day, I think, for me. Um, and it really has been my my best kind of guiding principle of life. So hopefully that helps you in good times and in bad, right? That like mm-hmm. just live for the moment and live with no regrets. I love that. And I think you just answered that. Was I think that sounds like a good answer to the question I was about to ask, which is <laughs> what do you know for sure? 
now we know. No day but today. <laughs> now we know. No day but today. Exactly. Now I'm going to go listen to the Rent soundtrack. Oh, my God. So good. Have you seen um, – oh, my God, the Jonathan Larson um, – Tick, tick, boom. Tick, tick, boom. I haven't. It? I was supposed to watch <gasps> it and I haven't seen it yet. I didn't know. I remember looking at the uh, bio and I saw his name. I was like, wait, is that who I think it is? And it, yeah, uh-huh. I haven't seen it yet, though. I know it's like gotten it's won on so many Netflix. awards. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's on Netflix. Andrew Garfield was amazing. And like Sondheim, just everything. It was so yeah. good. You have to watch it. As a theater kid, and I was yeah. a theater kid, too. It's just <gasps> so good. Did you wait for, you know how they used to do those tickets where you had to show up and you get, they would do like $20 tickets and you would like wait out on this. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they did that in Chicago too. I remember I was in theater school when it was out and one of my teachers was Anthony Rapp's roommate. And I was laughing because like now I'm thinking about like, wait, why are we waiting for tickets? Why didn't you just ask him to get us some? Like, why'd you make me do that? Um, But I remember standing out on the sidewalk trying to get in and get tickets and we did and I watched it and I was just like, it was the first time because until then I was used to theater. We're getting way off track, y'all. But until then, I had been used to theater like Phantom of the Opera or Les Mis Mm -hmm. or Cats. So something like Rent was really revolutionary to theater. And like it it started a whole genre of much modern, much more modern thinking, socially aware thinking. It really... Mm -hmm. uh, for people who are not theater kids and may not know this, it was seminal in, in yeah, all it was of theater. The, it changed the game. It changed the game. And like, then there was Spring Awakening, Dear Evan Hansen, like yeah. so many that really just started to talk about real issues and real yeah. conversations that reflected just society and life and all those amazing things. So yeah, I loved, I love, that's what rent was. It's like, it's just, it's just a reflection of society. And like that yeah. did not exist before, Mm-mm. before that. It was, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just, the, la- the last thing I'll say about, and I know we got, we got to call it a day, but I'm going to say my favorite, well, there are many favorite parts, including, you know, seasons of love and the music <sighs> is so beautiful and wonderful and moving. My favorite, I got to see Adina Menzel do the cow song. Stop. That's like, I have to say, I think that was one of my biggest moments in all of, uh, all of anything. Oh <laughs> all God. of anything no, well, was Adina I... singing the cow song. If, and like anyone who's seen Rent knows what I'm talking about immediately. Yes. If not Google if it, you know, you know, it. exactly. it's incredible. And you, no, it's so good. And, um, if you haven't seen her Madison Square Garden documentary, it's, it just came out on Disney oh. Plus. Oh, I should watch you that. Should, because it's her whole story. Oh, like, that would be I know. cool. I would love I know. that. And my and our kids know her as Elsa. And we know 100%. her as the cow gal. Yes, yes <laughs> we know her as the cow gal. And you and um and Glenda, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So like now we have um now, yeah, this is literally her whole coming her whole inspiration and what she did and her tenacity and every like I didn't know any of that. But yeah, even Theo and Olive watched it and they were like, whoa, that's really interesting. I didn't know Elsa. <laughs> I didn't know Elsa was so cool. <laughs> I was like, Elsa's very cool. Elsa and um she's in Disenchanted too, which is also Oh good. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, Adina yes, and Menzel definitely knew how to own the day, that's for sure. She did on the day. Well, thank you for, I'm so glad that I got to spend this day with you, my friend, and this wonderful final, final audience. So thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.